the real tragedy I find in that is because humans are so adaptive and because it creates a cognitive dissonance, like a, an, almost like an existential pain when we're acting out of alignment with our values, what I see is people then, they say, it's not going to make a difference anyhow. And it's certainly more comfortable to just keep walking in lockstep. And then what happens is they unconsciously convince themselves of the reasons why they've made the right choice and then become more and more right about that. And then it's just, it's really tragic because you're watching this person convince themselves of the quiet desperation that frankly, they probably aren't even able to see. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you. Hear their struggles. And then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. This episode is two thoughtful, intelligent people sharing environmental thoughts. I can't say you'll love it, but I think the thoughts we share are what a lot of people think but don't share enough. We cover action, leadership, motivation, caring, beliefs, integrity, and Adam's challenge on imperfect, which I put in quotes since I prefer non-supermarket imperfect apples. And I suspect you'll hear things that you've thought about, but maybe haven't shared, not just environmental, though we mostly hover around the environment. So we're recording now. And so the people listening, we, we, you know, I've been doing this for a while of like starting the recording <laughs> right away. And I stopped doing it because I'm the people are telling me the podcast should be shorter. So you and I started talking. Mm. It was like really interesting. I'm like, oh, we should record this. So I've been talking about how I took the train from New York to uh, Salt Lake City and back, which is 60 hours each way, and how I've mm. been learning. And it's, it's quite an experience. And not just because it's like, and not at all, actually, because it was like doldrums or something. There's a whole community yeah. of people who do this stuff. And, and then we were talking about, it's an instance of taking charge and acting on your life. And there's this Goethe quote, which has shown up in several podcast interviews uh, that I had with other people. And then you started saying it without even trying. Like you were, you were, as you said, you were channeling it. Yeah. So now it's recording and we're going back to like... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's magic. Yeah, it doesn't flow exactly <laughs> like it did before. But I'm going to repeat some of the stuff that I said was that when I travel, I've traveled a fair amount of my life. You know, I've been to several dozen countries and including North Korea. And I, what I've realized is mm. with my cutting back on the travel is that my, a lot of people ascribe to travel what is not really inherent to the travel. Travel will often make it happen. So in my case, yes. adventure is the big thing. And I told you the story about when I went to London. And in London, I, I went, I didn't have a guidebook. I didn't have a place to stay that night. Uh, and so I was like just cruising, going around the city, trying to find a place to stay. And then pre-cell phone days, I was waiting in line to use a payphone. And the people behind me were American and talking about, they, they lived in London for a while. And I just started talking to them. And they found me a hotel where they, you know, friends of theirs stayed. And then they said, by the way, we were going out dancing tonight. And they took me out dancing that night. 
and I had this great time. I kept in touch with them for a little while. It was just like, this is when I was in graduate school. So this would have been the late nineties. Mm. So I didn't keep in touch with them that long, but I don't have to go to London to have an experience like that. I can do that in New York if I want. And so all this traveling is the putting the constraints on traveling is forcing me either to accept a worse life, which I will not accept or yeah. to replace with what travel provides replace with my own initiative and taking responsibility. And I finding that it's working pretty well. Just like when I don't have packaged food, I'm not going to, I had to stand bland food for a while because I didn't have any alternative. I couldn't, I didn't know what to do. Otherwise the, the right. flavor that I got in my food came from the people who packaged the food together, but I wasn't willing to accept the packaging, but I can combine things too. <laughs> Actually, you know, I just got back today's Wednesday. I got back Monday late afternoon and barely made it in time to teach my class just in time. And it's now Wednesday. Adventure. I, yeah, you're right. Yeah, adventure. <laughs> and I actually haven't turned on my fridge yet. Before I left, I used up everything in my fridge because I'm going to be away for like a week and a half, two weeks. And I don't need the refrigerator on in that time. So I finished everything in there, which I made into the food that I ate on the way out. So I could eat my delicious vegetable stews instead of whatever the train had on the way out. On the way back, it was different because I got a sleeper car. And... It's kind of interesting. Like yesterday I was coming home from, uh, I sit down in my friend's class because he teaches, he gets these amazing, phenomenal speakers. Mm. And so I sit down in the class and I was coming home. I'm like, I I don't have anything for lunch. And I do have, I knew that I had some lentils in my cupboard and I knew that I had onions and potatoes and uh, some spices. So I was like, I just need some green leafy vegetables. So I just stopped in a place and got a big thing of bok choy. Normally I prefer getting things, things from farmer's markets. But whatever, I was passing the store on the way home. I picked up the bok choy and left the rubber band with them. So it was just, just the bok choy, no packaging or stickers or anything like that. Mm. And it was what, $4? and It was under $5. I gave him $5 and got change. And so it was less than 5 bucks. And that was lunch, dinner, and then lunch today. And I didn't get bored of it because I've never had this particular combination before. And it's lentils, potato, onion, bok choy. And then depending on, and sometimes I would put curry in some, sometimes I'd put the spicy pepper sauce on another. So there's my packaging. I had packaging for the, the spicy sauce and the salt container. Right. And of course the salt lasts me like several months. The same with the spicy sauce. Now it took me no more time to cook and prepare than if I went and got takeout because I just got home. I just chopped the stuff up and throw it in the pressure cooker and turn it on. And then I can go about my other business. Yeah. And then, then I just eat it. And actually it's cold enough that overnight I just put the pressure cooker container comes out of the pressure cooker. I just put that by the window where it's, I don't know, 30 degrees, maybe 40 degrees. I don't know. It's, I mean, it's it's not as cold as a refrigerator, but it's pretty cold. (laughs) It's not going to go bad in that time. So now I'm kind of curious how long before I turn my refrigerator back on again, because there's nothing in it right now. Huh. Imagine that. Well, you know, I read this article a while ago that said that in America, we refrigerate it. In the West, we refrigerate and in other cultures, they ferment. And so I've been fermenting a lot of stuff. And that's another thing. Oh. I cooked a lot of stuff for me to eat on the way out there. And the rest of the stuff I threw into ferment. So I have these three giant jars fermenting cabbage and fermenting these uh, turnips and radishes. And so that's just, they're really big jars. They're like, I don't know, two quarts each. I don't know. I'm looking at them now. And they, were, they just fermented while I was gone. So I got back, I got sauerkraut. And I don't know what you call the fermented pickle. It's not pickles, but uh, the fermented radishes and turnips. But I'm pickling more and learning how to, soon this summer, I guess I'll learn how to can and, and preserve in other ways. When you were talking about like adventure and, and then kind of this, I was 
just noting that like part of the way travel works is that we, we sacrifice the promise of comfort or not even the promise, but like we give up some comfort and some security uh, in exchange for the promise of a sense of adventure. And we typically aren't willing to do that at home because we aren't willing to give up our comfort, right? Like I could have that experience at the payphone waiting for someone getting into a conversation, except I want to get home to home where I have a fire and I can put my feet up and I can read and drink my brandy or whatever. And it goes a little bit to like, actually a lot of the projects I've heard you talk about, Josh, where you've willingly given up some comfort and at first that sucks. And then on the other side of it is when you discover something new, like you had to learn how to cook. You, you got the gift of learning how to cook when you gave up the comfort of having your food already delicious and spicy and savory and all those sort of things. Yeah. And actually, so I got back Monday. Monday is one of my kettlebell workout days, but I got back late enough and I actually, I couldn't do burpees on the train. So I had all these burpees to make up for. So <laughs> I was doing like extra burpees. And so yesterday, I normally work out burpees. I alternate every other day between burpees and rowing on even number days. So by doing the burpees, I mean, by doing the kettlebells yesterday, the 27th, today on the 28th, when I did my rowing, like my, I'm still tired and fatigued from the working. I didn't have a day of rest in between. I'm getting on the rowing machine. I'm like, oh, I'm really tired. Mm. And I think to myself, it's kind of, there's a feeling, there's an oppressive feeling when you got to push as hard as you can, because I'm doing this high interval, high intensity interval training things. Mm. And I know it's going to be hard. I'm like, oh man, this is going to be hard. And then I thought, you know, there's an easy way to, for this not to be hard. I can just not row. Easy. <laughs> yes. Easy solution. <laughs> just not row or row very lightly. And then I don't have to worry about it at all. Problem solved. But it's not acceptable to me. That's, right. as I say this, it sounds like JFK going to the moon. Like we choose to do them because they're hard, not for the sake of just hard, but challenges build character. They develop who you are, the choices that you make. And it's not arbitrary that I'm doing like there's a benefit. I, I think there's a health benefit to doing this stuff. I feel like I'm my my heart rate is my resting heart rate is pretty low. I haven't measured my VO2 max. I'm sure it's pretty high for someone who's 46 like I am. Mm. And I think it helps you with coordination and balance and all these sorts of things. And well, on like a meta level, it the more we develop our willingness to confront discomfort, the better able we, like it's a, it's a virtuous, another virtuous cycle, right? Like we're, then we're more willing to do that. And that is really kind of investing in our ability to expand and grow, which becomes all the more valuable as we age. Yes. And in the context of leadership, leadership, if at the core of it is motivating people to do things, especially yourself, and it gives you the skill to say, this is what I want to do and I will do it. And most people don't. I mean, the whole, one of the main points of this podcast, and I think what, something I've been saying lately, I'm not sure if it's made it onto the podcast, but I think the following phrase is, captures almost the spirit of our times, is I want to do something, but if I do and nobody else does, it won't make a difference. So mm. I might as well, I'll just keep doing what I used to do. Right. This is the opposite of leadership. Yes. If leadership is acting on your values with some expectation of people following you, this is acting against your values to follow people you don't even know who they are, doing things that you don't want them to do, and joining in with a movement, and not even a movement, joining in with the lack of a movement to just sleepwalk into polluted oceans and you know, all the stuff we all read about in the headlines. Yeah. 
The real tragedy I find in that is because humans are so adaptive and because it creates a cognitive dissonance, like a, a, an, almost like an existential pain when we're acting out of alignment with our values, what I see is people then, they say, it's not going to make a difference anyhow. And it's certainly more comfortable to just keep walking in lockstep. And then what happens is they unconsciously convince themselves of, of the reasons why they've made the right choice and then yes. become more and more right about that. And then it's just, it's really tragic because you're watching this person convince themselves of the quiet desperation that frankly, they probably aren't even able to see. And once they've convinced, then they have to go deeper and deeper and they have to yes. double down and double down because if they hear otherwise, then it shows that they were, that they've convinced themselves of to act against their values. And so and the they stakes get higher. Yeah. Yeah. And so they get more and more angry if you put this, if you expose what they've done. Right. Pull them out of Plato's cave. Yeah. Or to me, the, the case I always think about is when I was a kid growing up, there was a, the, the Philadelphia Inquirer where I grew up to this big story about this family where the kid was on cocaine and the mother was like, he's a good kid. Mm. Like, d- denial. It's so much easier to say he's a good kid. You know, the civil is disappearing, the TV's disappearing to fuel right. the habit. And it's her, whatever the mechanism was, it was easier for her to be like, it's not a problem. Sound familiar talking about the environment? <laughs> I can certainly relate to a lot of that in my own life. And I mean, just that whole thing internally, I can relate to. Oh yeah, we all know it. I mean, we've all, we all do it. Why was I thinking that on this? On, when I was sitting on the rowing machine, I was sitting and thinking, maybe I don't want to row. And then when I, <laughs> I, I made it into this like absurd thing in my head of like, well, there's a strategy for life. Just don't try. Then you never fail if you don't try. And of course, everyone said that in different ways. I mean, we've all read that on like uh, Instagram pictures right. and stuff like that. But of course, it's interesting when, it, when you hit it yourself and you're like, oh, that would work. I can just not go. Uh-huh. Oh, that would mean I have to, then I'd start doing it all over my life. And then I have a life of, of not trying and, I, you know, not failing, but not trying. Yeah. And I certainly know lots of people who have chosen that strategy in life. Maybe it's better. I mean, I hope it's better for them because I want everybody to enjoy their life as maximally as they can. I want everyone to, I hope that everyone is living. I hope that everyone believes that they are the best person in the world because they are living by their values better than anyone else because everyone has different values. And is, that's, yeah. that's not to say anyone is better or worse than anyone else, but by their own standards, I hope everyone thinks that they're the best. But if, they're by, own, if by their own standards, they're not the best, they can do something about it. And I hope that this podcast I think the environment is one of the great places where you can apply it. So, you know, fitness is another one. If you value fitness, I guess not everybody does. But if you do, that's a place where if you, you can choose to, you know, through diet and exercise and whatever, then meditation, stuff like that, you can bring about changes in your life that will gradually make their way into other parts of your life as well. And the environment is doing stuff for the environment. People say it will make a difference. Well, you... Taking to me, taking responsibility for how you affect others. It's not the environment that I care about. It's how my actions affect other people. There's some stuff that really just doesn't make a difference to anyone. And I don't really care about that. Like the whole universe is our environment. And somewhere off mm-hmm. in some galaxy that is like, I don't know, there's like some planets, some stuff is happening. I don't care about that environment. <laughs> it doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect anyone I know. If there's no life on that planet, I don't care. What I care about is how what I do affects others. I was born into a polluted world. I don't like that I was born into a polluted world. Generations before me, you had to look hard to find, well, before the Industrial Revolution, you had to look hard to find pollution. And all the pollution was like, at least it was organic. It was, at least it would decompose within a, a few hundred years. Right. And then by the time I came around, 
it was of places where people lived, more of it is polluted and it's hard to find a place that's not polluted. When I, I was telling you before we put on the, before we started the recording, I was on this train and as we left Denver, there's, I mean, before Denver, going east from New York, it's all farm. I mean, there's cities too, but once you get out, out from Chicago, it starts to be all farmland and it's all people. Then you can see Denver coming up and you can see the mountains behind Denver. Then you leave Denver and then you go up in the mountains. And there's a few places where, except for the train and the train tracks, there's no roads because it goes a different route and mm. it's just wilderness and it's beautiful and it's stunning. And every now and then there's a plastic bottle in the middle of nowhere. And even forgetting about the, that the train is there and the train is polluting, it's where do you got to go to not see garbage? Is there a place where people are where there's, it's not polluted? And it gets to the point where I got invited to go on this, um, it was like a leadership, outdoor leadership training thing where people go out in the wilderness together and you, know, you have to depend on each other and stuff like that. And they, I'm watching the videos and I'm like, it looks like it's a really cool experience. And now that's another place. This, was, this one happened to be in Patagonia, the Southern end of the, of the Americas. Mm. And I'm like, really beautiful, rugged country. Looks like an amazing experience. And now more and more people go there and there'll be tourist traps and stuff like that. And like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) they don't have to go to those places to get those experiences. Yes, they can. Yes, it's beautiful. I mean, you know, I got basil growing in my windowsill. It's pretty beautiful. It's not just for eating. It's sometimes I just look at the plants and I smell them. Oh, I got this rosemary. I, I forget to do this sometimes. But most mornings you brush the rosemary and the smell comes off. I'm like, yes, people who, people get this, uh, what do you call it? Aromatic oils or essential oils. Yep. Which I've re- I'm reading all this health risks with them, but rosemary smells good. Like you don't need the, it <laughs> grows. The chemically produced or the manufactured uh, oil of it. You can just grow it. Yeah. Yeah. And it smells, <laughs> it smells, it smells better than the essential oil of rosemary because it is rosemary. I find that the challenge I find, you know, I, I don't know if you remember the last time we talked, one of the practices I was taking on was kind of showing my own judgments or sharing those or even just noticing them. And yeah, you took on a double challenge, a double whammy. And the one kind of led into the other, but what, what's really been showing up over the last month and been a fertile slash uncomfortable place to play is just noticing my own arrogance about all of this. So my arrogance in as much as I have it, that there's a right way to show up. There's a right way to lead. And like, there's a right way to be about say the environment just for an example. And I notice a lot of the stuff I'm shaking my head. I'm in total agreement with you. And then where I get, where I get messed up is where I, I want to prescribe that to people rather than take a look in my own backyard and see where I'm not living up to the expectation I have. And also to, to hold space for like the entirety of how we all show up. You know what I mean? Like I have it, there's a right way to be in certain places and that gums me up and it makes it hard for people to, to hear whatever gold I may have to put out into the world. Yeah. What you say, you know, my mom is really, she's like, Josh, you can say you're not being critical. You can say you're not judging, but it sure sounds like you're judging. (laughs) And I don't think in my heart, I don't think I'm judging myself by my standards. Mm. What I'm trying to do is I try to find an audience who has similar values to me and I want to support them. Yeah. Now, if I have one set of values and you have a different set of values, I will judge you. Okay, person A and person B, if they have different values, which they necessarily, all, no two people have exactly the same values in everything. So that means person A is going to judge person B negatively by person A's values. But that doesn't mean that I judge you by my values. I mean, I do internally, 
in the way that all human beings do mm-hmm. in all areas. Yeah. But I'm trying to support people. And I think my mom, yeah, I point out to her, I'm not like, I point out, you said this and now you're doing that. That's not me. That's you're being inconsistent. Mm. I don't think the guilt is from my values. I think it's, I'm pointing out to you something and I didn't ask for this. Like you right. said to me, Josh, I'm not going to eat any more sugar. And then later you're eating sugar. I'm like, you tell me what you want. It's up to you. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not asking you to do that. If you choose to stop eating sugar, great. If you don't, great. That's your business. But if you tell me one thing and then you do another, I don't think it's bad or judgmental for me to point out that you said one thing and did another. I'm not like, mom, you do. I'm just like, right. I pointed out in a matter of passing, not as a judgmental thing. Right. Now, of course, she's going to feel judged, but by herself. Right. Yeah. So, but this all sounds nice and tidy for me internally, but it doesn't come off that way at all. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> as a leader, you, I'm not responsible for, I can't force the person to see things the way that I want them to. So a leader, you got to put the other person's interests and in, in their perspective and so forth. Well, I guess it's a bit of both, isn't it? Like on the one hand, I fully agree with that. And on the other hand, I notice people use this to, to kind of let them, and I'm not suggesting you're doing this, but they use it to let themselves off the hook where they're like, I can't be responsible for the way that was received by that person. That was their reaction. And I really, I can't remember who said it, but someone held it kind of like, a hundred percent of the responsibility for how the communication is received lies with the communicator. And it, it may not be objectively true, but I really like that as a, a place for, for me as a leader to come from. Cause then I'm always taking a look over here. Like how could I have been more artful in the way I communicated that such that it was received a little bit better. It, it kind of puts the power and the responsibility back in my hands, which I'm a huge fan of, except oh, when someone too. puts it to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if someone's, if, if you say, well, it's, look, I'm just telling the truth. If you can't yeah. handle it, that's on you. <laughs> yeah. No, you're well, just being a jerk. <laughs> so, well, label it as you will. If yeah. two people, one of them takes care for the, uh, for the me- to make sure that the message is understood. And the other one just says, it's on you. Well, one person I put to is going to get farther in life and probably mm-hmm. have more productive relationships. So it's not if you're a jerk or not to me, it's what do you want in your life? And mm-hmm. what are you going to take? responsibility to create. If you're like, I'm just being honest, you can't handle the truth. Okay. What does that create for you in your life? Yeah. So let's, I mean, we, we started alluding to your challenge. Let's talk yeah. to your challenge. You had two challenges. One of them was the judgment. Well, yeah. I guess, and one was about apples, <laughs> bruised, uh, yeah. bruised produce. So how'd things go? So yeah, bruised produce, like kind of like not seeking out the perfect, being willing to just, I guess really the, the context I, I saw I was kind of operating in was this notion that all of us are a yes to a quality of living, provided it means that everyone has the same standard of living that we do in the West. But a lot of us would be unwilling to lower our standard of living down so as to create equality across the board. Most of us have a little bit harder time with that. So that was kind of where I was approaching this from was like, well, what if this, you know, what if I had to lower my standard of living, my standards, whatever they are, and this was a a simple way to put that into practice. And holy cow, did it drive up a lot of stuff. Interesting. (laughs) Obviously it's not super significant, but I had, I was quite surprised actually. I had a bit of a visceral reaction when I would go grocery shopping, like, oh my God, okay, what if I reach for an apple and it's like, I guess I was trying to do it right a little bit. Like, what if it has this giant, disgusting bruise on it? Uh, and then so I, I watched myself kind of 
try to take create strategies around this. So I would grab apples quickly. So I didn't take too long. I didn't want to let my I, I, I just didn't want to let my fear in there. I would let my wife go and do the shopping instead, which kind of provided a way out. And then once I saw that, I, I like slapped my hand and okay, let's <laughs> let's get back on on target and on mission. And so one, I, I just noticed how hard it was. Like when there is the opportunity with minimal opportunity cost, there's really no opportunity cost to reaching for that better apple. I noticed how hard it is to not do so. To like actually just, no, I'm not going to pick and choose for the very best. I'm going to kind of stay on target and on, on course here. And then the other thing I noticed was the righteousness that that started to bring forward when I saw other people picking and choosing, because now I'm doing it this holy way and (laughs) look at you picking and choosing, you should be more like me. And that kind of set me in the last month, a lot of the work I've been doing with my own coach has been a large part in relation to my, to my arrogance, to my righteousness. And I don't say these things like they're horrible parts of myself. They're just parts I can acknowledge are there. And that this practice has really been bringing to the forefront for me. It's kind of been a little bit of a mirror, a chance for me to see, oh, here's some of the stuff that lies in my blind spots that has gotten me here, but may, to your point, Josh, may now be getting in the way of what I want to create in my life. Yeah. I mean, this, what I'm hearing is like, it's putting a lot of onus on you to act, you know, to examine your values, to act yeah. on those values, to see what happens when you do this, because it's easier to choose comfort yes, and convenience and following. The other thing I really got is that integrity is not free because ultimately that choice is an act of bringing my, you know, the way I hold integrity is our thoughts are aligned with our words and those are aligned with our actions. Those three things are in alignment. And I do believe that I believe in a quality of life. We should all have a similar quality of life or it, to some extent, right? We'll take all, all the nasty philosophical discussions about that and just hold it at a general, easy to agree with sense. Mm-hmm. But to put my actions in alignment with that was challenging. It was easy for me to think and talk about it, but then to actually go out and act on it required, I had to actually step beyond what was comfortable for me. It was actually more comfortable for me to be out of alignment and the cost was pretty minimal but nevertheless, it was there. Every time I bought apples, every time I bought produce, I felt that like, ah, right. I've got to actually take steps to live in integrity with what I'm committed to. I was hoping that you might have an experience. See, when I put constraints on my eating habits, mm. it forced me eventually to learn to prepare foods the way I like. Mm. And one of the things that emerged from that is that I couldn't, I couldn't get stuff from stores as much. And I would get stuff from farmer's markets. And you're characterizing lowering this, getting the not perfect produce as lowering a standard of living. Mm. I felt that in terms of my food got bland, but then it got more tasteful, tasty, more delicious. And I wondered, because I get my vegetables and fruit from farmer's markets now, not hard for me to do because they're, they're not that, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a trek, but not really. Yeah. And it's actually, it's like now it's, oh man, it's the highlight of my week. I can't wait to go, (laughs) you know, in February, it's a little rough because it's all parsnips and turnips and radishes and rutabagas. And it's not right. like the glory vegetables that you get in the late summer, but I feel so good. And I, I can't, I'm like, oh, what's going to, like this winter was the winter of Brussels sprouts and learning that the stalk of a Brussels sprout is not only edible. Sorry, I can't convey this beyond <laughs> words, but maybe the most delicious thing that I've ever eaten in my entire life. 
Mm. I mean, I, stunningly delicious. The, the inside of a, of a Brussels sprout stalk. And I gotta, you got to put it in the pressure cooker for like 20 minutes, like 10 minutes. And it might be absorbing flavors from the stew because I put it all in at once. Right. Anyway, I love this discovery. And it's, I don't consider this a lowering my standard of living. Mm. I, I think I would have before. And I think a lot of people would. Like, oh, it's not as good as Whole Foods stuff. But I look at Whole Foods, and I'm like, oh, man. Whole Foods, to me, is like, there's probably more... Like when you walk out of Whole Foods, I think there's more stuff that's going to be landfill in a landfill than in your stomach. Right. And yeah, sure. I mean, it's a product of industrialization, right? So there can only be so anything owned by a mega corporation can only be, you've got this huge bureaucracy behind it, right? It can only get so efficient. Well, the processing is much more profitable and the packaging is more profitable than just giving you a head of broccoli. That's right. Yeah, well said. So I don't think of it as lowering a standard of living, although I think most people would say, like most people would say, not most, I don't know, a lot of people you say, instead of going to the supermarket and getting all that packaged stuff, maybe consider going to farmer's markets, trying that out. And they're like, and then the, you get this common response. It's like, we're not going to go back to living in caves. You know, we have an anesthesia and we have the germ theory of disease and we have, uh, you know, rocket ships and stuff. And you want to you give that all up. And I'm like, that was a big, uh, <laughs> big leap. Yeah. What do you call it? Um, uh, when uh, a false dichotomy, I guess, right. a reduction to a certain, it, I'm like, I didn't say anything about all that. It's more delicious. And so yeah. I, anyway, so I wondered if that would happen to you, if you, if you would switch places where you shopped, because when you go to the farmer's market, they don't have the perfect stuff, mm. but it tastes better. That's been my experience. I'm just checking in actually. Or for that so matter, if- in other countries, it's not that all these people with lower material standard of living are, I'm not sure that they're more miserable than us. We have anesthesia. To me, anesthesia is one of the great things that like makes it better life today. Like I don't think iPhones, I don't think they necessarily improve your life. But I had my, I had a wisdom tooth pulled. I'm glad I had anesthesia. (laughs) But there's a huge opioid epidemic. Right. Yeah. I mean, none of this stuff has been like a total win. I mean, people like their iPhones. And there's all this addiction to the iPhones and Facebook is all going to have to testify in Congress and stuff like that. Like, it's not, I don't see these things. It's very few changes since say Plato's time, you know, Plato and Aristotle, they're like trying to figure yeah. out what makes a good life. How do we be happy? I'm not sure that the overall happiness quotient of the world today is higher than it was then. Well, and we're getting a little nerdy, but two thoughts come to mind. One is in his book, Sapiens, I can't remember the author's name. It's a hard to pronounce Jewish name, I think. But he talks about how even agriculture, you know, the advent of farming did not actually make life better for most of us. It actually took, it ate away more of our time and it made life harder for the most part. And then, uh, but it did allow for civilization to develop. Uh, and then the other thing that comes to mind is this notion, because you mentioned Plato and Aristotle, this, the Greeks had the notion of hedonism, but they also had, I think it was eudaimonia, I believe was the term, which was like the, it's not the same kind of pleasure derived from, that we get from hedon, but more like the, the deeper pleasure of being on path, of being on purpose, of right living. And that's kind of what, like... I mean, I guess in that lens, maybe it's not lowering a standard living, but like on the surface, there's less of like an immediate satisfaction of the perfect apple and more just like, yeah, but I'm living on purpose. This is more in alignment, even if it's just the tiniest 0.001%. That's the beauty of all of this stuff, I think, is if we, even if all we do is shift by 0.001%, that is creating a shift. That 
shift in how we're being shows up everywhere in our life. Tell me more about this point of one shift. I guess the way, what I see in the, in the West is we ignore externalities. We push out the cost of having the very best. We push that out to every, everywhere outside of our country. Right. So like Bangladesh pays for the clothing that I wear, like because they have to manufacture it for underpriced labor. And who knows where all the produce gets externalized and, and all of this stuff. And granted, if I'm shopping at the same supermarket, it doesn't matter if I buy the best vegetable or the worst vegetable, but all I'm really doing that 0.001% is simply shifting my willingness to, to not need everything to be perfect. I mean, that's ultimately what it is, like a willingness to like, hey, what if I can have the exact same experience of life, regardless of how my apples look? And I want to recognize the, to some extent, the ridiculousness that we're talking about, like apples that are bruised versus apples that aren't bruised. And yet I still think it's valid. Okay. I'm picking up, there's a language that's emerged in several of the conversations that I've had with people on this podcast is a mindset shift that Mm. is greater than that belies the, the magnitude of the actual material shift at the time. Yes. And which gets me through, you know, a friend of mine was like, Josh, your podcast is infuriating. I'm like, what's infuriating <laughs> about it? And he says, you got people on there who are making a big deal out of carpooling and bringing bags with them to the store. And Josh, if that's where we are, if that's what counts as progress, we're sunk because that's mm. nothing. Right. And materially speaking, it's very little. Yeah. And I'm hoping and banking that the mindset shift counts for a lot because a cultural shift is, that's what I'm going for. And one of the big shifts, there's three big cultural shifts that I'm looking for. One of them is to switch from growth at any cost to enjoying what you have or enough, growth mm. versus enough. And I think you're saying enough, like materially speaking, not saying uh, give up on happiness and joy and relationships, but in terms of materially speaking, Enjoy what you have. Like in, in the context of travel, you can't see all the things in the planet before you die. You're not, it's just not possible. There's no, yeah. not, I mean, and even if you do, that means you're not spending time in one place. So you have to make these trade-offs. And why, if, if you can't see everything, at some point, you got to say, I better enjoy what I do see. And then how little yeah. do you need, how much, I mean, how much do you have to see before you've gotten enough? And what I'm finding is that that constraint is actually forcing me not forcing me, but leading me to enjoy the here and now, the present, the relationships I have much more. And uh, my, me personally, I'm growing more so that that growth is greater. I feel like that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, I think that's, it's kind of like people voting because factually you're right. Your vote probably doesn't make a difference. Your one vote amongst millions of votes probably doesn't ultimately make a difference. It's more about how we're being that would then have us vote. And I think that's the thing underneath all of this is, yeah, carpooling or, for goodness sakes, buying bruised apples, who cares, (laughs) right? Like the doing of it is so... I completely agree with your friend. And it's the stuff in the foreground, the actual action is really... It's kind of like looking at an iceberg, right? Like if an iceberg loses 10% of its mass on the surface, the part we can see, that's only a 1% change. It loses most of that mass from the part that's underneath the water. And I think it's the same thing with what we're talking about here, where in the physical, the stuff we can actually see, which is the actual action being taken, it appears very small, kind of stupid, kind of like these people are talking about leadership, but you know, just 
<laughs> being a little pedantic maybe. But the truth is what really happens is that in taking that action, it creates a shift in our in how we're being. And that is something, how we're being, it's prevalent. It's everywhere. It's all pervasive. And so if I'm able to take, if I'm able to let go of my need for things to look perfect here, that also changes the way I show up around people because maybe I can be a little bit more able to hold space for the world's imperfections. And maybe I can be a little bit more and like that's the ripples that, that comes out. So I think you're 100% right. And I totally get where your friend's coming from. And, and it makes both sides of those make sense to me. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. Now, I want to jump to something. I don't know if by the time this gets posted, the interview that you did of me for your book will be available for people to listen to. But you interview about intelligence and people who score very high in intelligence, uh, not necessarily on on IQ tests, but intelligence stuff, which to me, what we're talking about here is not... I don't think many people would say what we're talking about is intelligence. No. It's not academic prowess. Right. Agreed. And I struggled when I was talking to you. It's hard for me to remember the details, but a lot of people say, Josh, you're really smart or something like that. I'm like, that's not, that doesn't make me happy. Mm. It doesn't make me improve my relationships. It doesn't make me care. It doesn't, you know, and what we're talking about now is something that I don't think it's really not that big of a deal. Like, as you keep saying, like bruised, non-bruised apple, not a big deal. Right. In terms of like effort or it's certainly not an intellectual challenge to discern which apple to buy or not. <laughs> no. And yet it leads to all the stuff that I think a lot of really intelligent people who would score high on, on tests and who do graduate from the top schools and stuff like that. I think it's really easy to miss a lot of this stuff. And as I did for most of my life. Mm. And then I start doing this stuff. I'm like, this was missing and this is really important. And to look at, at genius or brilliance, very unbrilliant people make major differences and create great relationships and things like that. And maybe they're not solving, I don't know, intellectual problems, but there's something about this that I feel is missed by a lot of people. And like when I read like Hacker News or Slashdot, there's a lot of people yeah. there who are like, they scored really high on IQ tests. They have advanced degrees. They do stuff that is viewed as like mathematical or challenging computer science problems. And they're like, oh, I'm really top of whatever. Yeah. And they don't get this at all. Yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the biggest. So brilliance is just one of a million different traits that any particular human can have an abundance of. So it's not better or worse. And it doesn't make you a better leader. Your leadership in my world would be determined by your ability to fully express whatever set of traits and capacities you yourself as an individual have. So it's not like, this person over here being brilliant is a better leader because they're brilliant. It's, oh, I'm someone with a huge heart. How much can I fully express that huge heart in the world? That's the measure of my leadership. And so then from there, those people that are really brilliant, one of the greatest struggles I know as we have is a sense of arrogance, a sense of like, I am right. And I'm right because of all the reasons that I've thought about and intellectualized and analyzed. And what that creates is massive cognitive blind spots. 
Because we're, the more we are convinced of being right about something, the harder it is for us to see where we are wrong. And so I think, I think it's not, a, I'm not trying to pull your friend into this over and over again. He's going to regret ever saying anything to you, really. <laughs> but like, I could see where I would come to this from the same place. Like, no, I'm right that this doesn't make a difference. And then that's going to have me not only be right about that, but it's going to have me not look in my own life where something small like that actually would make a big difference. So how do you feel about doing this challenge? I mean, did it come out of left field for you? Was it something you've, or is it something you've done challenges like that before? Never, never one like, I mean, so I'm a one uh, as a coach, I'm committed to a lot of coaching myself. So I take on a lot of uncomfortable sort of challenges designed to push past where I'm unwilling to be pushed past. This one was surprising because it felt, it did feel kind of, it felt like there'd be some meat in it for me. I was surprised by my reaction to it. So I was surprised by like what a small, what such a small little thing drove up in me. And then I think the real gift for me was in how this brought to light so much of my own righteousness and arrogance. And which has then spawned like a really rich amount of work for me to do. Because as long as there's a part of me hanging on to this righteous arrogance it makes it so hard for people to hear the message I want to put into the world. It makes it hard. Like if I wanted to help people better be stewards of the land, it makes it hard for them to hear that because I'm, I'm conveying that message with this degree of like, you're wrong. I'm right. Listen to me, stupid. And that just makes it hard for people to hear. And then I'm getting in my own way. I'm getting in the way of that message being put out into the world. So that's been, I think the real gift for me in this is, getting that reflected back to me, getting confronted by that, and then getting the opportunity to, to like, okay, great. There's some places here for me to break down and to, you know, what do I get out of being right? And all of the, all of the conversation that comes out of that. So to develop humility, to develop empathy, yes. to be able to see yourself from other people's perspectives. And I'm seeing that so much, like a lot in the States right now, right? With the gun laws and stuff like that. And the more people are right about something and it's really easy to be right about the notion that we shouldn't have guns or something, you know, whatever it happens to be. I don't take a side in that. Well, I have a side in that fight, but it's not really my point. It's just the writer we are about something, the harder it is to hear the other side. And as long as you don't feel heard, you are going to entrench yourself further in your beliefs and fight even harder for them until you actually feel heard. And so I could see where that would spill directly into the way we are with the environment. Because as long as I'm on my soapbox calling people idiots for using plastic straws, that's just going to make it really hard for them to hear me. And it's going to have them justify why they're doing the things that they're doing and then keep them doing it for longer. So actually, you achieve the opposite of leadership despite trying to lead. Yes, that's exactly right. Like when, yeah, that's right. Has it led to changes in your behavior? (laughs) Well, to be... 100% 100% transparent, I'm still in process process for our American listeners with this. It's not fully resolved. So the last probably, I'd say the last three weeks, I've been... It started because I brought something related to this to my coach and was like, hey, I'd like to... I noticed this showing up. I'd like to work through this. I think it was because I saw someone else like, I don't know, letting apples fall on the floor and just even leaving them. I don't know. I don't know what it was. But... And um, she innocently asked me, like, what do you notice is arrogant about this conversation that you're, that you're having right now with me? And that, you know, very understandably, at first, I had a lot of resistance to even hearing that. And then over time, started to see it. So I'm, I don't have a resolution 
yet. What I am present to is one, a lot of, so I'm present to my, my arrogance when it shows up more so than I was before. Two, I'm present to the amount of judgment I have about that because I have a lot of judgment about people being arrogant, which is perfect. And then three, I'm now in the process of softening myself and, and allowing some humility and frankly, like working to actually love that part of myself and get that that's there to, to protect me and serve me and help me create what I want to create in the world. And then who knows where things go from here? I don't actually have a clear path out. That's just where I'm at in this kind of process of discovery now. I hope that people who are... Mostly, I, I try to say stuff like, see, look how great... Like at no cost in time, money, other resources, he's having all this introspection. You got all these coaches and yet here's the stuff that is sounds like it's bringing, bringing you a lot of the value of coaching, except it's all... It's no extra stuff. Like you're You're, mm-hmm. you're just getting it. And so I would say to people... You can have that opportunity too if you take on a personal <laughs> challenge. You know, find a value and act on it. And if that value is environmental, it's very little risk. Yeah. You know, it's not like if you try to change your value or act on your values at work, you might get fired. But if it's like choosing different apples or picking up a piece of trash per day or something like that, it's not really. There's very low, low risk, high upside. Yeah. What you're saying is also on a bigger scale because I, as I say often here, is. I'm happy to get followers, but I really want leaders. I want people to take the message that I'm sharing. And if it resonates with a listener, I hope that they find communities that I am not going to resonate with and they can take this message and bring it to them. Mm. And in that context, to learn the leadership skills that you're talking about, to pick up how I think populists get elected when people are self-righteous and say, you should do what I say. Yeah. And people are like, you can't tell me that. This other guy's saying, I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm great already. I'm going I'm to vote for him. And I really want to change. If I've one of the changes I want to have is that people who care about the environment are not telling other people what to do. Mm. And I'm sharing delicious. I'm sure that most people here, you should do this and you shouldn't do that. And I may say that sometimes, but I'm really not, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to share. I did that. I changed and I want to share with you what worked for me. And the way to try, the way to do it is to try something and see what happens. And most people, I find that people have the reaction that you do. Oh, it was harder than I thought, but yeah. I'm glad I did it. Yeah. 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 And, and <laughs> there's just, I, I just really believe that 99% of being a leader is, is the work within, you know, every time there's like, ah, oh, this person in front of me is not doing the thing they're supposed to do. It's almost certainly like, First, I got to do my work. And usually when I do that, I discover, oh, that's all there ever really was to do anyhow, which is a beautiful thing that happens when we take on a practice like you're inviting people to do, Josh, is that we, we're doing some of our own work. And it simply doesn't matter how big or how small, because frankly, none of us are going to change the world as an individual, which maybe isn't even true. But like to your friend's point, yeah, it's small stuff. And yeah, we're in dire straits or whatever. But if everyone took on something like, like a small practice like this, I guarantee you the world would be a different place. Yeah. I mean, and the person would change themselves in far more than they expected. Yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, this is what I'm, I'm hoping to get across is that it's to what you were saying earlier of, of this little shift from if I do it, it won't make, you know, if everyone else doesn't do it, it won't make a difference. So I won't, I'll just keep doing what I was doing is so Everything that anyone, any leader has ever said is, is important. It's in there. It's, you know, self-awareness and taking initiative and take responsibility and empathy and, and deliberate, being deliberate and being intentional 
it's all in there. And I think if you don't do it, I can speak for myself. When I, before I took initiative, it ate me up inside. I knew what I was doing. Mm. When I learned that flying was roughly a year's worth of driving, Mm. I realized I was not looking that up because I knew that I would find out something like that. Yeah, it was more than I expected, but it was, I knew that whatever number I found was going to be bigger than my tolerance. And that's why I didn't research it because you don't have to look very long to find out the answer if you go online to look. And I've certainly searched things on the internet were a lot less important to me than that. Yeah. And it just eats you up inside to say, what uh, that whole process you're talking about before of like you you got to double down you got to keep doubling down on on the story that you tell yourself if it's against your values yeah and there's a cost to this that we don't see i mean just like a lot of western countries externalize the costs of the standard of living that we have as humans we tend to externalize the same way so we don't notice what it costs us to be just out of integrity with our values just slightly out of alignment but it does have a cost and every time you, you bring yourself a little bit more into alignment with your values, you actually reclaim some of that cost. You get back some of your power. You get back some, some freedom in a funny kind of way. Yeah. And for most people, that's an abstract thing. When you read the books yeah. on principles of leadership and stuff like that, it's like live with integrity. And you're like, oh yeah, of course. I, of course I'll live with integrity. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a binary thing. Oh, yeah. I, I am in integrity. Great. Did that. <laughs> Check. Yeah. <laughs> what more do I do? Yeah. Ah, I should listen more. Ah, yes, I do listen. <laughs> I just noticed what you wrote there. Yeah. That's listening. And so doing these challenges are, most people are choosing pretty simple challenges. I mean, one guy was like, he was moving from the US to Europe and he and his wife decided to get rid of their car. That was like a pretty big thing. Although mm. to live in Antwerp, Belgium is not like the hardest place <laughs> in the world to live without a car, but right. they're going from Texas. Right, that's a big shift. Cars, yeah. Most people, it's not getting disposable coffee cups for a month. Even right. so, it's the game if you go for it. And I guess being on the podcast means that you're, you, you run the risk of, well, there's some public accountability because you're going to be on a second time. And if you come on and say, oh, you know, I couldn't even make it without the disposable coffee cups. Now you're in public, like, especially if you're someone like you, you coach. Like it would suck to, who's going to want a coach who says, I'm going to do something so like materially trivial as avoiding disposable coffee cups for a month. And they can't even pull that off. Mm. So people at home, they don't have that accountability, although it's easy to create, just tell your friends or, yeah. you know, put a, put a, make a blog for yourself or something public. The thing is that it gets you such, it forces you, it, these are like integrity exercises. Yeah. And they're very simple. They're very, uh, how do I put it? To say, be more integrated is like, that's not actionable. No. But pick a value and live by it, even when it's challenging and even when no one will notice, that's integrity. And so these exercises are really, they're simple and actionable. Yeah. And I, I wonder, thank you. For, I'm just really grateful for your friend because what, he's, what he said provides a lot of rich conversation because I think this is a way a lot of people, we stop ourselves from taking an action that might create a shift for us, which is, it's like an all or nothing approach. Like this is so small, it's never going to make a difference. So it's not, I'm not going to do anything, right? Unless I can change the world, then I won't take any action. And I get that there's scale and all that. But I wonder, like, what would be the thing for him that would introduce a bit of discomfort and be a challenge to take on? Because there's something for all of us. We all have, like, there's always a benefit in some kind of practice of discomfort, like you and I are talking about, like that person that sold their car to live, like, that's really what it is, is 
by practicing a little bit of discomfort, we broaden ourselves, we expand. And if that benefits the environment as we do so, well, how can that be a bad thing? You, you make me feel better about doing this podcast. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's so much work and it costs me money. It doesn't pay anything. I yeah. think that there's a movement. I, I, I don't know. I mean, certainly there's countless, I don't know, junior high girls with videos of how to put on makeup that have millions of times more views than this. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst. That's so hard to be with. And I think that, you know, I'm, I think I'm working up the ladder of like, you know, some of the people I'm talking to about doing, uh, about doing episodes, they're like really important people. Like, mm. like what do you call it? Um, Thought leaders or. Yeah. What do you call it? When, when everyone knows their name, the household name people. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you saw the, the, actually the most recent, the most recent post I did was RJ Kalaf, who's shockingly amazing. Mm. I mean, this guy, he took my social entrepreneurship class at NYU and from the project that he did my class, he started Lead Palestine. We're teaching leadership skills oh, to right. youths yeah. in Palestine. And people who, who, their greatest aspiration was to strap on a suicide vest and blow themselves mm. up yeah. are learning leadership skills and the personal leadership stuff that you're talking about. And the guy's 21 years old. He's going to be on, my, <laughs> on my, the first ever Leadership in the Environment panel of experts. He's one of the experts of leadership in the environment. Mm. And, and days after that, he's giving his first TEDx talk. Anyway, before that, the person was, is uh, Brian Brayman, a Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagle. Mm. And when I met him to interview him, was at 50 Cent's recording studio in Midtown. And for better or for worse, I think athletes and musicians are much more influential than scientists and educators. And I, that, you know, I want to move up into that territory of people who are very influential. Uh-huh. And it making a difference that you're describing is I hope that people are listening. I really hope that people are like taking on some challenges that they wouldn't have to otherwise and getting results like yours, even if they don't get to share it on a podcast like this. Of course, they can always write me and I'll figure out a way to get that voice out there. And they can put up their challenges on it. Okay. I have to say this, go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast and click on commit to a personal challenge, put on mm. your personal challenge there. And then even if you're not on this podcast being recorded, you can say, I'm going to do X for X period of time. And then at the end of it, you can put up your results and people can see that and we can hopefully build a movement. It, it, it's so cool because like the way you just described kind of the podcast is a microcosm for like what we're talking about, right? Which is, it's tough when you're trying to do something that really will have an impact in the world and someone posting a fitness video wearing tight pants or I don't know, whatever the equivalent for men, a man would be, but like gets a billion views. You're just like, oh my God, it's never going to make a difference. And yet we have to trust that it does make a difference. And ultimately, because I believe like it probably makes a difference for you too, right, Josh? Like to do this actually probably creates some degree of transformation in yourself. And so you're actually modeling leadership in the act of perseverance in the face of all the reasons why not. The number of times I've wanted to give up I mean, especially before I started the podcast and I was giving talks and I was like, ah, oh, just minefields of emotional yeah. int- intensity of people pushing back. I remember once when I was, I, I had a bunch of students and friends come to one, a, a series of talks at NYU and I drew this whole parallel between the civil rights movement and people acting on their consciences here in the, in the environmental area. And so at the end of it, a friend of mine comes up and he, you know, he's black and he's like, Josh, as soon as you start talking about Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King there's no way I was going to listen to what you're saying. Mm. I'm like, 
I saw him like, what about what I said though? He's like, oh yeah, it makes total sense, but I wasn't listening to it. Like huh. you can't, like, if you think that's going to fly, it's not going to fly. I was like, it works. He's like, it works in one level, but it doesn't work. And I was like, oh my God, this is, and I was yeah. like, that wasn't like a total give up moment, but it was really frustrating. I'm like, I thought skin color wasn't supposed to matter. Uh-huh. I thought it was yeah. content of the character. And I don't know. I mean, obviously, again, my perspective is it's not my responsibility. And it's not their responsibility for my message to be understood. Right. And I think that there's a, a, a strong parallel there that will, that will be very strong, very powerful and motivate a lot of people. But I guess the way that I was doing it was not effective. Yeah. And, you know, there's the quagmire of white privilege, which both you and I can fully own, like, hey, we're a part of that privileged group. And so how could we possibly know? And we still have to do our, we have to create our best art. I guess that's the best way I can put it, right? There's, there's always just, I can't let that stop me either. All I can really do is receive the feedback, take what I can, set aside and not let it destroy me what I can't, and then take another crack and take another crack and keep creating the best art I can and knowing there's always going to be a better thing. And and I, I, I felt that viscerally when you shared that. And, you know, it's very similar to being on the rowing machine and saying like, do I want to do this or not? Uh-huh. Well, if I don't try, then it won't be so oppressive. Yeah. I, I've I, learned that if I ever ask the question, do I want to do this or not? The answer is pretty much always no in the moment. I never want to cycle on the bike when I want it. But then on the, on the other side, I'm so glad that I did it. Yeah. This big duck, this is apropos of nothing, but this, <laughs> I, like food is a big thing for me. Exercise is a big thing for me. Exercise, I don't want to start, but when I'm done, I'm, I feel great. And uh-huh. food, I don't want to, I want to start, but when I'm done, I'm like, oh, I want to keep going. I'm like, uh-huh. yes. It, it, I don't know. It's one's hard at the beginning, easy at the end, and the other is the other way around. Uh-huh. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I have the exact same thing. So we could go on. I see that it looks like we're just over an hour. It might get edited down. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, and we talked less about your personal experience with your challenge. You've indulged me in, in rambling. I think I've cardinal sin of podcasting is I probably talked more than you did. Probably talked a lot more than you did. I apologize. <laughs> I've enjoyed this. This has been great. Uh, that makes me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like there's so many things we could have gone off on a lot more. Mm. Uh, I'm going to ask one of my, the two closing questions. One of the two questions is any message for the listeners? Oh, at a risk of, you know, providing any advice, I guess the message would be something along the lines of it, it does make a difference. No matter how small, no matter how big, it does make a difference. I think that would be it. Okay, cool. And th- thank you for sharing that. And actually, there's one last question I'm going to ask, but also I'm going to say, it sounds like, let me know, are you going to keep doing this? Yeah, I don't have a, like I said, first of all, like the, this has created this whole thing that's now in progress. So that will absolutely continue. I don't have a, a compelling reason to stop now that I've started. You know, what I discovered was, wow, the visceral response is totally out of proportion to the fact that I simply cut the bruise out of the apple or, or go to a farmer's market or, or whatever it happens to be. So absolutely, I'll keep doing it. There's no compelling reason to not, aside from my own kind of fear, I guess, or whatever that is. In that case, I'll leave an open invitation for you that when, this is a little over a month that you did this. Mm. And it sounds like there will be stages that you go through or you know, it's not gonna, whatever, whatever effect you've had now, there'll be more and more effects to come. Mm. And if that's the case, then I leave an open invitation for you to contact me and say, let's do a third episode at your option, if you want to, to talk about what's come from what comes of it. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Okay, and I mean, we're going to be in touch anyway. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. 
then the last question is, is there anything I didn't think to bring up that's worth bringing up? <sighs> Probably a million things, but <laughs> nah, you know, nothing, nothing that comes to mind. I think, uh, like you said, we could, it occurs to me we're both nerds for leadership, which I love, and uh, we could probably go a billion different ways. And um, maybe that's another conversation, another point. But for now, I think this feels good where we where we came to. Okay, so then glad to hear. I also felt like, yeah, it's like there's a million places to go, and <laughs> yeah. uh, I hope that you come back and, and do a third episode, and because I'd like to hear what comes of it. And there's all these little branches that we could have pursued and didn't. But uh, I'm going to stop the recording, and uh, I want to thank you very much. Thank you. I don't know if others have conversations like mine with Adam, thoughtfully exploring environmental experiences and thoughts, also about acting, because most conversations I hear about the environment devolve into abstract academic analysis and blame, things like the government should do X, corporations should do Y, the law should pass, things like that, anything but I'm going to act myself. Yet actually acting raises awareness incomparably more than awareness leads to action. And the fastest, most effective way to influence companies or the government or anyone is to live by your values first. Of course, do other things, but start with that, which will make you a leader. And doing so improves your life. Living by your values improves your life. That's what value means. Evaluate means what's better, what's worse. If you act on a value, it means you're doing something better in your life. It improves your life. If you're listening to this podcast but not acting, please contact me. That's the opposite of the goal of this podcast. It means I'm failing you and I prefer to serve you. I meant to make you feel both grossly unsatisfied, maybe even disgusted with following mainstream environmental behavior with the bottles and the plastic and the mercury and the mindless, no joy in that, just following along without any personal leadership and intrigued and inspired to discover where your values lead and to act beyond the mainstream and to feel inspired and to act on your inspirations. Actually, I'd love to hear from you either way. If you're acting, why? And if you're not acting, why not? Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse. And living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.